Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
these were only things. Danny wanted a mother. I killed the man who murdered him. Stinging muscles, strained joints, and a raw throat. A strong wind gusted, and the sky hung low, iron gray. I was standing, a massive length of chain, cold and resolute, within my grasp. I dropped it to the ground, at the foot of what stood before me, a mountain. Most of it covered, <laughs> upholstered and stitched together leathers, some human, some animal. I was one of the more creative uses of man and beast that I'd seen. The chain I'd dropped was part of some over-elaborate pulley system by which wet, dripping skins were hauled up to face the sun, 
before their placement upon the mountain. The air was choked by the echo of an impossible scream. Something that I might have even contributed to, given the soreness of my throat. It might have been a scream the size of the world, which was an actual estimation, rather than an application of poetry, a pompous practice better left to the likes of Wicked. Instantly more screams erupted around me, although less concentrated than the last, followed by sobbing and the general sounds of misery, insanity, and fear. From where I stood, I could see hundreds of others, men, women, and children, reacting to the sights and sounds and smells, which to them must have been nightmarish. I'd learned long ago to ignore the outlandish, as it was often enough just the distraction of a clever predator. The noise stirred the flies worrying at towering piles of guts, leftovers from whatever creatures had supplied flesh to the ridiculous efforts of dressing a mountain. The fields surrounding the half-naked rock were filled with the festering stuff, as far as the eye could see. The resulting pest cloud made for an almost innavigable darkness, in addition to feeling like a warm, whirring blizzard tickling across my skin. As the swarm thickened, and in a rare mood of whimsy, I thought to leap into the stuff, wondering if I might swim into the blackened air. Still, I paid them and their crawling darkness little mind, save to afford me the opportunity to vanish from sight and take up a more strategic position. Navigating the lesser mountains of gore and filth and stink, I trudged miles beneath the ceiling of bugs, incapable of knowing where I was headed. At some point, the clouds of flies parted, trilling off into small, trilling mists. My way was interrupted by a small town, but one unlike any I'd seen before. Its open spaces, streets, alleyways, parking lots, enclosed within a careful scaffolding of wood and tin, creating a ceiling atop the entire city. The result, which was clearly intentional, was to create something of a house of an entire town. Beyond whatever else it might have been or intended to be, it was the perfect place for me to hold up, tabulate the metrics of the moment. Beneath the massive rooftop, I encountered carpeting, couches, and even indoor light fixtures. The streets and alleys had been made into sitting rooms within the gigantic enclosed town, or townhouse, I suppose. While the thing was blatantly absurd, it was a considerable step up from transposing flesh to a protuberance of jutting rock. Whatever the hell was going on, it was an enterprise born of far too much time and too little sanity. Crowds of staggering people filled the place, all of them bewildered and bellowing like stricken cattle. A good number of them were also deformed, missing limbs, burned, surgically misshapen. Yet there was no sign of what did it, no visible primer with which to decode all the rampant strangeness. Just lunacy stacked on top of itself, getting higher and higher by the moment. Despite the conditions and my lack of clothing, 
I felt fine. I enjoyed the familiar surge of strength as it flowed through my tensed muscles, how my thoughts teemed like ready vipers. I might have been better than fine, in fact, improved. But I was also no wretch. I needed clothing and weapons. The sobbing and gnashing of teeth and mad laughter were nearly unbearable, especially since I'd no hand cultivating any of it. And it should go without saying that my stealth was entirely wasted upon the blithering imbeciles. But for the moment, there was no pressing threat, and I was unseen. The lull and urgency allowed my thoughts to focus on the broader issue. What in the hell happened? Where were Genevieve and Dylan? Where was I? I tried to recall, with unusual difficulty, my last moments, before waking up at the foot of the grotesque mountain. We were looking for that great thumping fool, the family man, when we'd come upon some of his handiwork. I remember Genevieve's footsteps as they raced away, and wondering why Dylan had fallen so uncharacteristically silent. Those were my last memories, but they felt incalculably distant, like something vast and unguessed stood between then and now. There were only a few things I took for granted, that life is but a deadly game to be played and eventually lost, and that my place was with Dylan and Genevieve. While the world had only become more of what I knew it for, I was left to resolve the absence of my friends? No. I realized at that moment, I had no idea what Dylan and Genevieve represented to me. Or, if I did, I was unwilling to admit it. But either way, I'd set my course. And now it was time to follow it. While the town itself was relatively small, gauging from my time on the mountain set deeply into the countryside, Yet, as a single structure, it proved vast. To avoid the blundering crowds, I made for an unlit portion of the place, an enormous lightless hallway. Not long into my trek, firelight cleared away some of the dark, compliments of a few braziers made from assorted human bones. When my feet skirted small pools of lukewarm blood, I realized this wasn't a hallway at all with the approach to a den, or an abattoir, a place for killers. I was too curious to go back, too eager to play the next game, discover how I might win it. A few minutes later and I'd encountered a gigantic throne made from bones. The same was true for the steepled roof above it, massive rib bones coming together to form a high arc. But that wasn't the most conspicuous sight. That privilege belonged to a massive cloak made from flesh, something that would have covered a man, a creature, triple my size. It was slung atop the throne, its wet, sagging length splashed down the armrests, the seat, and plunged in a single, gory flap around the construct's ivory legs. I never openly approached an invitation to a game, as every moment is a box of the unknown, and so I entered the spiral. 
Once upon its winding path, my every movement is designed to collapse variables, deny an enemy's advantages, strike with maximum efficiency and potency. But something was different this time. I could feel the world around me letting go, my strength broadening, my mind expanding. The spiral seemed more than my primary method of engagement, more than a polished, perfected killing technique. I felt as if I had become the spiral, and the spiral had become me. I came out of my curving, unseen course possessed of a defendable vantage to inspect the strange, spoiling cloak. Once next to the thing, I heard it do something that a gigantic cloak shouldn't do, not even one made from flesh. It whispered to me, Help me! Please! Please kill me! Please! This wasn't a cloak at all. It was a man, stretched out and flattened to the dimensions of a giant cape. His head was positioned just beneath the hood, like a living brooch. I couldn't fathom how the transformation had been achieved, and I couldn't help but chuckle at the sight. <laughs> so tell me, <laughs> how did you come to look like this, hmm? Please, no more, please, just kill me, please, just kill me. When I glanced to the floor, where a length of the man's elongated flesh quivered a bit, I saw monstrous footprints outlined in blood. They led away from the throne, getting fainter with each step, until vanishing altogether. The conclusion was as elementary as it was preposterous. A monster once sat upon the throne, wearing a cloak made from a single, outrageously distended human being. I was forced to consider the possibility that I'd never left New Victoria, had never woken up at all. Though, a more somber calculus led me to an altogether more horrific conclusion, that I'd in fact died and gone to hell. Sick of listening to the freakish man whisper at me, and perhaps a bit curious to see what other contortions he was capable of surviving, I snapped his neck. He died straight away which was a bit reassuring, as I assumed death wasn't a mercy hell offered. With my impromptu reality-deducing test completed, I sought to interrogate the danger presented by the vanished footprints, analyze the scene in greater detail. The room was fashioned with more care and precision than was the previous portions of the townhouse, although Given the weaker building materials, the additional concern in construction only made sense. But there was also something else to the place, like there was with everything since I'd woken up. An intangible value I couldn't account for, something lingering just out of sight. The throne room's walls were almost entirely covered in more distended lengths of skin, many of which had been rolled out like dough. Various shapes had been cut out from them, as if by some grisly cookie-cutter. Animals like pigs and dogs, humanoid shapes, and entirely novel silhouettes, all of which leaned towards the monstrous and grotesque. I half expected to hear Dylan's ridiculous yammering concerning the possible reasons for them, how they might have been the random adjustments of a fickle reality, or some other patent stupidity. 
While I always made him for a fool, though he was occasionally possessed of bouts of creative genius, I valued the lunatic, and I missed our banter. I didn't know what type of feelings I possessed for Genevieve, but I'd somehow come to regard her as a sort of seer, perhaps more, someone I could trust. It was typical for reality to repay my inner musings with outer turmoil, always trying to catch me off my guard, always trying to make room for bigger and better predators. How many more times would I have to teach it otherwise? They came from the other side of the room, bursting through a gate of bones, laughing and screaming, crying and moaning. All of them had been sewn crudely into new skins, and if I'd taken the time, I'm sure I could have matched them up to the shapes cut from the walls of unrolled skins. Clearly, I was meant to be frightened by the sight, or perhaps struck by the wider implications of reupholstered spirits. But I was neither. Such babble was for fools like Dylan and the family man. I just found the mob of freaks absurd looking, the way they babbled and stumbled. They were an embarrassment to the moment. A naked killer, standing within a throne room of dripping flesh. I should have been offered a far more grandiose challenge. A game worthy of my skills. The scenario was just more proof of my earlier hypothesis. That everything around me was the product of a too much time and too little wits. This new world having spent far too much on the stage and not enough on the play. But if nothing else, I could remind the world, yet again, that I was deadly and deserving of better. Re-entering the spiral, I watched the scene slow to a crawl. My enemies transformed into nearly unmoving targets. Each step upon the corkscrewing path granted me more lethal potency, tallying every weakness, calculating every strength. When three of the creatures blundered into one another, their heads lining up, I came off the unseen path. <laughs> I chuckled as my fists smashed through their skulls, one after the next. The little dance number they performed as their brains splashed across my fist. Even before the bodies had collapsed, I seized a fourth fool by the neck, my thumb and fingers interwining within his windpipe. My free hand snapped the wrist of the madman trying to stab me in the back. Thankful for the crude dagger that fell from his powerless hand into my ready grip, it made killing him and the next several a far more expeditious affair. The blade increased my lethality by an entire order of magnitude, lessening the killing force I needed to exert, allowing me to power down a bit, conserve some strength for later. When the last of the grotesque interlopers fell to me, I wasted no time in retracing their steps, moving past the bony gates they'd crashed through. The resulting sights were merely an incremental escalation of those prior. More unrolled flesh, more reupholstered freaks. 
save that these creatures were ungainly, most of them incapable of steady, functional movement. They stretched out in piles all over the room, crying and begging and screaming. All of them were trapped, sewn, inside larger creations of amalgamated skins. The largest of them appeared as some sort of shark, longer than an 18-wheeler, scraps of mismatched skin comprised its exterior. The thing's maw was as much a jumble as the body, the teeth of various animals filling out wide jaws that seemed formed from curving rib bones, likely a cow's. The internal composition was altogether more comical. <laughs> Fools of all stripes filled out its bowels. Their motley of ruined heads poked out from gory slits cut into the makeshift monster, affording them breath. The rest of the manufactured creatures were spread out all over the wide room. There were tumble-down humanoids, some of them fixed with animal horns and hooves. A centaur-like thing made from a woman in what might have been the hindquarters of a bear. Even a giant human skull grinned from the distant corner, comprised of hundreds of animal skulls. Its innards, the brain, I suppose a pulpy mess of stitched together and skinned humans and animals. But the only disturbing thing about the room was its complete lack of usable fabrics for the making of clothes. I wasn't distressed at being naked, only that I would need compartments for the storage of weapons and whatever else I might find useful along the way. Investigating the area in greater detail, pushing aside the occasional wandering pile of blubbering flesh, I couldn't begin to fathom the design of it, of anything. The purpose behind filling poached skin with mewling, ruined creatures was no different in its absurdity than wrapping a mountain in flesh, but that seemed the only theme, if not a clue. Dressing things in skins that neither needed nor wanted them. After I'd finished with the rooms of flesh, finding nothing useful and no sign of my prey, the maker of the gigantic, vanishing footprints, I decided to exit the townhouse. The task proved easy enough. There wasn't anything of substance to bar my passage, just crowds of sobbing fools, wandering around, calling out for loved ones, tearing out their hair, humming to themselves. And as it so happened, I stumbled upon a man, a clothed man, nearly as large as myself. While his specific dimensions were by no means as refined as my own, his overall size and shape made my killing him imperative. I took no care in dispatching him, as the screams more than blended into the rest of the worthless wailing. His clothing fit, if a bit awkwardly, and now my new dagger had a place to live, at least until a better blade could replace it. The door out of the den gave with ease. Being made of carved bone, it was a material I'd grown more than skilled at shattering. The exit opened into the backyard of a large farmhouse, whose chimney nearly scraped the wooden ceiling of the city the ivory door having been built right into its surrounding picket fence. Again, there was no discernible logic at play, just the sort of madness that Dylan would have run wild through, philosophizing and grinning all the way. The irony of his absence seemed almost deliberate. The wind roared as I moved beyond the farmhouse and through an untended field. 
The townhouse ended abruptly. Just a big wooden box next to the flesh-covered mountain and its surrounding gut piles, stacked like organic foothills. After rounding a corner, I found another boon. Hundreds of cars sitting abandoned in a field. As the best car bombs require a certain automotive knowledge, and then some, I had a large SUV up and purring like a cat. The nearby road was similarly choked with abandoned vehicles. Some of them overturned, others burned black, and human corpses lay everywhere. While I detested noise, it seemed prudent to turn the radio on, if only for the smallest clue concerning my missing companions. Is, is anyone out there? We need help! happens? What, what happened to all of us? What the fuck's happened to everything? What are we? What are we doing? Red Mother is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Stephen Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld, and sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Be sure to check us out at www.maltopia.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. If you want unique art and animations of Maltopia's stories, visit our YouTube page or click on the link in the show notes. If you're a fan and want to help the show grow, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And for more exclusive content such as additional lore, stories, and art, be sure to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.